Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Yesterday, the House Oversight and Reform Committee launched an investigation into a possible straw donor scheme allegedly carried out by Postmaster General Louis DeJoy prior to his tenure at the U.S. Postal Service. Meanwhile, Attorney General Bill Barr appeared on CNN last week making dubious claims about voter fraud, among other election-related issues. And the Mississippi Attorney General's office has dismissed the case against Curtis Flowers, a black man who spent 23 years in jail and was tried six times for allegedly murdering four people in 1996. Ann and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, including the newly launched United Security and Cyberspace podcasts, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email qualify for a discount. Head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. Speaking of generals of the non-military sort, the postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, is back in the news on an issue that, you know, is kind of interesting. There are some allegations set forth at length, at some length, in a Washington Post article about the postmaster general, about whom we've spoken a number of times. Remember, he comes from a uh, private sector background, made a lot of money at a particular company. And the reporting is that over time, again and again and again, DeJoy and others put some amount of pressure on other people at his company to donate to Republicans. And there's a lot of detail in the article. And the allegation is that that pressure was brought to bear on people to make donations to Republicans whom DeJoy favored, but they got the money back in the form of bonuses and other kinds of compensation later to make up for it. And very specifically in the article, it alleges to make up also for the tax implications. Now, the problem is, and we should talk about what's going to happen next, the problem is for someone who wants to hold DeJoy accountable is that at least according to the article, this conduct extended to about 2014, and the federal statute that applies to this kind of straw donor scheme, meaning you get someone to, to make a donation, then you reimburse them, so you avoid the contribution limits under campaign finance laws, the statute of limitations for those kinds of crimes is five years, and that would have expired. So... What's supposed to happen, Anne? So, well, there's potential state charges. The state of North Carolina, where DeJoy's company, New Breed Logistics, was located and where he lived, that state does not have a statute of limitations on felonies, meaning that he could be charged at any point in time. So there can be a state investigation, and there are campaign finance crimes that exist in the state of North Carolina that could apply here. Um, I think it's also important just to go back one step, which is just so that just so that people understand. I mean, in some ways, this is a fascinating story. In other ways, this is like the oldest campaign finance story in the book. You know, individuals, there's campaign finance laws, you have limits. In the U.S., when you put together personal contribution limits, you get to about like 150, 160,000 per person, which of course is a huge amount of money. But for someone like DeJoy, he gave a million dollars. Remember, we, we've talked about this. I think he gave about a million dollars to the president. But to be clear, that that's because... There are contribution limits that are very, very high with respect to parties and committees 
But the campaign limit to an individual is much, much lower than that in the United States. Yes. Yeah, we should be clear. I don't want anybody, not that anyone is going to go out and write a $150,000 check, but it's there are different limits. So it's $2,800 per election cycle can be given to a candidate, $5,000 a year to a political action committee, $10,000 per year to combined state, district, or local party committee, 35500 to the national party committee, and then 106500 per account per year to an additional national party committee account. So there's a way to bundle all your contributions, and people do this to sort of be at the maximum. But the other way people like to joy do it is that you get a lot of other people to write checks because you can only write checks up to a certain amount. So DeJoy writes a lot of checks himself, but then he needs to be able to fundraise. And it's one of the way people gain stature in the party is to be able to hold these fundraisers where it was reported he held multiple fundraisers for congressional officials and for the White House that netted $100,000 each. And so you need you know, a series of people coming in and writing $1,000 checks or $2,000 checks to that individual campaign or to a state committee. So what ends up happening here is that it's it really is a, a very interesting thing in some ways because it is so textbook. Like he gets people, they just so happen to work for him. That's not always the case. But then what's fascinating is that he pays them back, according to the reporting, through these bonuses plus the tax. And so what's interesting to me as a former prosecutor and investigator, and I'm sure to you, is that you know, there's a paper trail, right? So you're going to be able to look at who got bonuses and who went to these um and who went to these events. And if they're two similarly situated executives and one got a higher bonus than the other, is that, does it appear to be connected to the event? And so there is, and also paying the taxes sort of kind of puts it over the top in terms of provability if it looks like the bonus is the exact amount of what somebody put in plus the plus the taxes. I suspect it won't be that. I, I actually think, I haven't seen the documents and I haven't seen the numbers. And putting aside the statute of limitations issue for a moment, I think it's actually a bit of a difficult case. I mean, the garden variety straw donor case, like with respect to Dinesh D'Souza and others who get prosecuted in this country, is you tell your friend or your relative or whoever, you know, donate $2,800 and I'll pay you back. And it's a very specific amount. And then near in time, there's a check or a wire transfer or something else for $2,800. And so it's very clear what happened there. Here, there's another step in the middle. And you have to show the link between the bonus, which is supposed to be the proxy for the you know the re- repayment or the reimbursement, and the actual payment made. And I'm guessing that in a lot of, in- of instances, A, because it would be too clear and too obvious, the numbers don't match exactly. And you have to just rely on testimony from people. Maybe that can be very powerful. But you know the defense can be, look, and the defense is starting to be already Look, we, there was nothing wrong with you know suggesting to people that they donate to candidates. That's fine and proper and not unlawful. And separate and apart from that, there it is. Separate and apart. Separate and apart from that, you know, people were due bonuses. And you're right. If you can show discrepancies, that's a bit of evidence to help, you know, a prosecution case. But otherwise, if there's a basis in the record for giving someone a bonus, and the number is rounded up and it's not quite the same amount, I think it's much it's much harder. It's a little bit more circumstantial. Yeah, but I guess, you know, so, so, and by the way, this is what Preet and I would do behind closed doors if if we were trying to decide whether or not to charge this case. Because I think, well, there are five people who've come forward. I think a lot will depend on what they say. And you're, you're right. And the reason this does become that these cases are things that you spend time 
working up is that you have this paper trail, but then if somebody says like, look, I just thought it might be good for my career, I chose to do it, and the company encouraged us to attend fundraisers at DeJoy's house, you know, that's not illegal, right? If you think like the the company can be encouraging and you can decide like, oh, maybe it'll be good for me. I'll get to see the boss, right? I never get to see the boss in the office. But it's where there's this concerted quid pro quo. You come, you pay the check and we'll pay you back. Like it's in the deal that we're going to reimburse you, right? And that's, that's the thing because that makes it an illegal campaign contribution by DeJoy. And so that's where it really depends on what people said. It's clear that the conversations were both with DeJoy and with his executive assistant at the time, who's now become his chief of staff at Postal. So what were those conversations? What was said? And the other piece is when you look at those people, the people who gave those campaign contributions, most stopped giving contributions after DeJoy left the company in 2014. And some continued to give, but at much, much reduced amounts. And so, you know, there's a lot of fodder here. These cases tend not to be simple to prove for the exact reason that we're talking about, but But it really is in some ways like how do people get additional money and push money into campaigns from people who don't want to give? Like this is one of the ways, unlawful, unlawful ways that that people do it. And so whether or not it's prosecuted or not, it it is an end run in my view around the laws that are meant to basically say like, look, people can give a certain amount. You can't give more. And so if DeJoy is using his company to push money into campaigns and reimbursing folks, like, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't hand them the direct check and say, like, this $2,000 is for the campaign contribution you just paid. If you if you basically say, I'll take care of it in your bonus, DeJoy is, is paying for it. So, but I, I agree, a lot more needs to be known. One other point, Preet, did you notice the statement put out by um, by the postal press person? I did. And what about the part at the end where they sort of deny a lot of it, but they do not deny that the bonuses were given to people to cover the, this is my reading of it, that they don't deny that the bonuses were given to people to cover the campaign expenditures. They basically say, we believe we complied with all campaign laws. Right. So they don't say we just gave people bonuses because they were great employees. No, it is interesting. Maybe they don't want to overstate. It's, it's wiser to say less. But the other remarkable thing about the whole story is, for those of you who haven't read it in the, in the Washington Post, is that it's not anonymous sources. I mean, some of them are anonymous but a large portion of the story comes from like the HR person at the company who's basically just talking about, you know, a description of a crime that was being committed. I think that's a little bit more startling than people think. And my question is, you know, if you're a federal prosecutor with jurisdiction here at the Justice Department and the report looks like it ends with 2014, do you waste time, energy, and effort to investigate? And some people might say, well, Absolutely not. And some people might say, well, absolutely, of course. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. You have to make a decision about what resources make sense to use and look and see if there's some basis to to believe that there was misconduct that goes past 2014, or if there's some other basis to, as they say uh, in the law, you know, toll the statute of limitations. And then it becomes an odd thing if there's zero evidence at all that the conduct extended into the statute of limitations period, meaning into 2015, so it would be a viable charge to bring now, do you spend those resources or not? What do you think? Right. So that's a harder question. So I think if you're sitting in the state, and and I can read the North Carolina law basically prohibits contributions in the name of others, 
and says no individual political committee or other entities shall make any contribution anonymously or in the in the name of another, meaning DeJoy can't give additional money through other people, his employees. And so I think that's a very viable state investigation. I would expect them to investigate this. And I think they should investigate this. I think the thing about campaign finance violations is that they're not always uncovered, but it's really important in my view when they're uncovered to, to look at them. The federal question I think is harder because you're right. You have to show that something extended, even if it extended, like let's say there were year-end bonuses paid at the, you know, at the end of 2014 or beginning of 2015. Like let's say somebody was paid in January or March of 2015, that statute's already run. And so it's kind of hard to imagine, especially if DeJoy's already gone, like it's hard to imagine being able to to build that case. So if, if you looked, I think you would look quickly and you would not spend a lot of time. You would just basically review witness statements, maybe take some statements, but but it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. The other thing you would look at is, is people sometimes make the mistake in thinking that what's reported in that Washington Post, it's an extensive article, it's, it's very well sourced on the record and, and off the record, that that's the sum total of the conduct, right? It, it, sometimes it's the case that that's the tip of the iceberg. And somebody who engaged in this kind of conduct probably engaged in it before and probably figured out a way to engage in it after. Now, I, I don't have off the top of my head when he left that company. 2014, he sold, which I think is why it stopped. So that particular course of conduct maybe ends there. But I'm prepared to believe that in some other way or fashion, maybe even in a more direct way, where there are no bonuses to be repaid, that he engaged in this kind of activity in 2016 and maybe 2018. Because why not? People don't just reform themselves without being caught in this way. And and so... The focus, of, the, uh, the focus of, of an investigation wouldn't only be about that statute of limitations issue with respect to the company going to 2014, but you'd also take a look at more recent campaign contributions because people tend to be recidivists. And fundraisers. And so, you know, he was obviously a bundler, meaning, you know, there's a small group of people in both the Democratic and Republican parties where they they raise 50,000, 100,000, um, they make these commitments and then they they hold a lot of fundraisers. He's obviously one of those. And so to look at sort of who was on those lists for him for after 2014 would be also helpful. So look, I think it's it warrants further investigation for certain on the state level. I think also you're making a compelling case to do a little bit of, of looking on the federal level. It doesn't feel to me like DOJ is going to do this. It feels to me more like a local U.S. attorney's office might look. But what do you think? Yeah, I don't know that the Justice Department will do anything and they can take the easy out and say, well, it's a political thing. It's sensitive. It's close to the election. And even on the face of the article, it looks like the conduct was over in 2014. And they might not be as aggressive as I've described, I think a good U.S. attorney's office would think about it and put politics aside. Then on the issue of the state, there's some reporting that state election officials would look at it first. There's an attorney general. I don't know exactly what the parameters of an attorney general investigation are. The attorney general in North Carolina, I believe, happens to be a Democrat. And then there's the potential county DAs. So lots of folks have the ability to take a look at this. Somebody, I think it was Dan Goldman, who said, in the ordinary course, you'd expect a turf battle to emerge over who gets to investigate with respect to U.S. attorney's offices because it seems to be a substantial case that not only will there not be a turf battle, I'm not sure that anybody's going to want to take a look. And I think that's unfortunate. But do you, have a, do you have a view on the attorney general versus the DA's office in North Carolina? You know, it's interesting. I think the AG is elected in North Carolina and as is, I believe, the DA. And so, you know, I, I think it's an interesting question. I sort of, and I can talk about, we could talk about at some point, some of the 
election um, campaign work that we did when I was AG, I think the AG is often politically insulated a little bit more than the local DAs who feel more pressure from the local political folks. That that may not be the case here because AG in North Carolina is a statewide office and politically elected. And so I don't know what the AG's jurisdiction is either, frankly. So I think I think they have some criminal jurisdiction, but I'm not positive. So my instinct is the DA will do it over the state AG. But I, again, New Jersey has full criminal jurisdiction. Most AGs don't, and they have fairly limited criminal jurisdiction. And I don't know off the top of my head what North Carolina has. So I would expect that it would be sort of a local DA type of case. And, and I'll tell you one challenge is that they don't do a lot of them, right? So DOJ does a lot more campaign. They do the federal campaign finance cases. Um, the sort of late local state folks, they, you know, they do a handful. But again, you know, I'm not saying they won't be able to do this. It's just, it's not going to be something, it's not the bread and butter of what they do every day. Now there's Congress. What about Congress? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So the House Oversight Committee um, representative, Carolyn Maloney, said that she's she wants uh, DeJoy to come testify. She wants to have hearings on this. She's called for his resignation. You know, it warrants I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.